There is nothing wrong with your internet. Do not attempt to adjust your settings. We are controlling the podcast. We control the squealing and the screams. We can make your heart flutter, your eyes blur from tears, or sharpen your mind to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit back. We are in control of what you hear. We repeat, there is nothing wrong with your setting. You are about to experience the awe and mystery known as the female mind. You are now entering the Fangirl Zone. We will continue exploring, discovering new worlds and new civilizations. Welcome to the Captain's Chair, a podcast on all shows in the Star Trek universe on the Fangirl Zone. I'm Chief Engineer Steve, and joining me on this mission into the unknown is... I'm Richard Dave, and uh, tonight we'll be discussing episode one of season four of Star Trek Discovery. Four years already. Yeah, hard to believe it's been on for four years. I kind of got a a feeling of deja vu about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what do you think about this episode? Well, I know we're not giving it ratings. But I have a rating. But before that, I have a little bitch let's session. Get it out now. Yeah, let's get it out. <laughs> I'm still mad that Burnham got a promotion. The whole thing was supposed to be seen from her perspective, not as a captain. I mean, we all felt she was headed that way, and she did some good captain-y things right. <laughs> last year. Still, so much for that. I still can't get over the burn reason. You know, the old joke about screwing in a light bulb. How many suit calls does it take to screw up a, a galaxy? <laughs> Just one, baby. <laughs> you know what else is bothering me? This is minor, and you'll probably give it my new microphone might pick up your eye roll. But I'm, I'm getting a little tired of Let's Fly already. No. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's Fly with a huge grin. Like, oh, come on. Can you imagine uh, Kirk doing something like that? Right. Or any other captain, for that matter. I can right. picture Archer doing that either. And I noticed that maybe this is why it bothered me, because I noticed that Sonico Martin Green is now a producer. Well, maybe she was before, but I didn't notice. But she has producing credits, right. which means she has creative input in the show. Yeah. So I think, and especially that the first part of the, the episode that Steve will be covering, there's a lot of smiles. And I'm going to, I looked at my notes and I used the word treacly <laughs> about three or four times. I think she likes, since she has creative input, puts herself in the best light all the time, even though we got to see the good old Burnham late in the show and she's a pain in the ass. Yeah. But I know we're, I said we're not rating it. I'm not sure. But if we were, I would give it a three. I'm giving it a three out of five, Steve. I don't know where the three out of five prickly presidents of the Federation, but yeah, that's it. Three out of five. Well, I kind of think that they had an idea last season that they were going to try to move away from the evil alien species being the problem yeah. and go more towards scientific issues and anomalies. And of course, the burn at first was an anomaly until we found out what actually caused it. But it looks like this season they are definitely moving into having to deal with science stuff and figuring out what's going on with this anomaly that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah. Well, the president also said that, did you know, trivia alert, that uh, the original mission of Starfleet was uh, scientific? Right. I wanted everyone to look at each other and go, what? (laughs) When they said that, you saw the crew up there on the balcony smiling about it. So. A lot of smiles. I think I wrote treacly. (laughs) Stop smiling. All right. Shall we get into this episode? Did Captain Picard smile like what? Five times during that entire run? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) 
Okay, episode one, Kobe Ashimaru. Wow, where have I heard that before? After months spent reconnecting the Federation with distant worlds, Captain Michael Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery are sent to assist the damaged space station, a seemingly routine mission that reveals the existence of a terrifying new threat, which I have a tinfoil hat theory on, of course. Of course. Of course. Well, we open with Booker's frigate departing Discovery, heading to a planet rich with life to try to make contact and get this civilization back in with the Federation. Captain Burnham and Booker offered lithium and goodwill, but the indigenous folk are offended. <laughs> Especially as they try to explain that the Federation is extending a helping hand, but mainly because of the Queen herself. <laughs> I heard they call that the butterfly effect. Oh! oh. <laughs> Burnham and Book flee the angry natives that are firing on them, and Burnham realizes their erratic flying is due to planetary magnetic issues. So she calls Discovery and puts the team to work on it. And we see the newly pip Ensign Adira Tall and Commander Stamets figure out how to repair the planet's geomagnetic compensators, assisting the natives in hunting Burnham and Booker more effectively. Yeah, those two were pretty cute together, weren't they? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it was funny to see the, see them bumping into each other as they're trying to yeah. chase them. <laughs> Now, Booker complains about the riskiness of the plan, but Burnham pushes on, making it back to his ship in time to beam over some dilithium. Burnham and Booker beam back aboard Discovery just in time to receive a salty semblance of a thank you from the... <laughs> Extra salt. <laughs> yeah, native. Burnham thanks her crew and sets a course for home. First of all, Booker and Burnham still have great chemistry. Yeah, they work really well together. I like the side eye Burnham gives them when she goes, like, under a breath, Book. Yeah. Because he, he immediately, you know, comes to her defense because, I don't know, butterfly people can be dickish, but they were being dickish. Yes, they were. <laughs> <A bit. laughs> so yeah. much for diplomacy and political niceties. Let's get this out of the way so I can start dissing you people. Right. And I loved how Burnham says, use your empathy. <laughs> yeah. Hit that switch, would you? My what? <laughs> you know, the thing. Yeah. And of course, as soon as they mentioned carnivore, it was all over then. Yeah, I know. The queen, too. Yes. <laughs> so you funny. You have a monarch. We're going to take it down. <laughs> Why, what are you, royalty lovers or something? <laughs> oh, boy. They should have. <laughs> well, you know, as, as the the frigate was pulling away, the grudge was right there up front. A little difficult to see, but Book is, like, patting it. Should have picked it up and give it the old paw wave. Bye-bye. Right, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, we don't go to Kaminar. On the Kelpian world of Kaminar, Saru has been helping Sukal acclimate to the Kelpian society for months, and Saru is revered as a great elder among his own people. While the Kelpians are unsure about rejoining the Federation and Sukal's destructive potential, as Sukal's emotional reaction to his mother's death caused the burn in the first place. Still stuck in my throat somewhere. Saru yeah. <laughs> cites evidence that a similar cataclysmic event to the burn reoccurring is something of a scientific impossibility. Way to jinx it there, Saru. Wow. <laughs> well, that'll never happen again. <laughs> They'll give him a command on the USS Jinx. Sukal senses that Saru longs to return to Discovery and his friends, but his sense of duty to Kaminar leads him to stay on the planet. Back on Discovery, Burnham sees Booker off as he goes back to 
Quajon for his nephew's adult ritual. As she prepares to host a reopening Starfleet Academy, Burnham is apprehensive about the reintroduction of Pollux into Starfleet. It should be all about you, right, Michael? <laughs> I know I'm only a captain, newly promoted, but I really think I should be running Starfleet. Book wishes her well before she goes, reminds her not to be reckless. Hint, hint, hint. How come everyone can see this coming except her? Burnham welcomes the first class at Academy. Cadet since the burn, senior officers observe from the balcony as Burnham delivers a speech, also known as the Lieutenant Commander Conference. She introduces Federation President Lyra Rillac, who elegantly receives and thanks the crew of Discovery. She goes on to reveal that the new Archer space dock bringing in a new era of Starfleet vessels. Oh, what was the movie? Was it Star Trek motion picture? Well, it yes. took them like a half an hour to show the ship. Yes. Remember that? And they're all gazing through the window. Yep. I thought we were going to get that. And it goes, please no. <laughs> The crew is generally excited to get back to science, but Lieutenant Sylvia Tilly is detached from her promotion. Uh, Burnham notices and moves to her, console her, but gets called away. Yeah, we start. What was the name of that? Oh, I can't remember her name. That was a brief cameo. That's like right, uh, Vance's yeah, assistant uh, there. Yeah, Vance. Yeah, yeah. Cameo. She's probably like, hey, since Sneakle Mountain Green has producer credits, she's like, yeah, we don't need you that much. Here's your less than five minutes. <laughs> Grr. Anyway, Admiral Vance notifies Captain Burnham and President Rillac that he's just received a distress call from a deep space station and sends the disco to investigate. President Rillac announces she'll tag along, much to Burnham's chagrin. Yeah, she's the boss. Yeah. I'm going to have a problem with her the entire episode. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Vance consoles her, but reminds her that the president doesn't need her permission to board. Hello. <laughs> Burnham swallows her pride, but not much. And Disco jumps to the rescue. On Quajon, Booker and Kahim perform a manhood ritual for Leto. Booker is obviously grateful to spend the time with his brother and nephew, thanking Kahim for letting him participate. As the boy runs off to play, Kahim and Booker notice the birds take to the sky in a hurry. Boy, when birds take off like that, that's always... Guess what they call their Alfred Hitchcock moment, when the birds take off like yeah. that? Now, that's, that's an early uh, boomer reference for you, Steve. Absolutely. <laughs> Bad news. Yeah. So, I guess I've forgotten, but what happened to Booker's amulet? Why doesn't he have it? That's a good question. Yeah. Did we know? I don't think yeah. so. Spoiler alert, he ain't getting one now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's a good question. Well, Unless... think now that there was that curve, we're going to have to find out, right? I would think so, yeah. The heck did he do? Yeah. He can't go, yeah, spoiler alert again, but it's going to have to, something to do with him, you know, he was, when he wasn't saving space whales, etc. Right. Maybe he lost it doing something like that, I don't know. Yeah. He was kind of a pirate back in the day, right? Right. Yeah, but Osira might have snatched it off of him, who knows. Yeah. Or one of her henchmen. Yeah, but the brother knows about it, too. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's a story for another day. Yeah. Huh. Uh-oh. Back on Disco, the crew tries to determine what could have sent the station spinning on such a wild course. That's an understatement. That was worse than a top wibbly wobbling around. Yep. After consulting with the station commander, Nellis, commanders Owo and Detmer work together to get Disco in orbit around the station. Tilly and Adira beam to the station to help them out. There's another boomer reference. That's very reminiscent of 2001 Space Odyssey when the uh, Pan Am Clipper went into that dance with the space station above Earth. Right. Wasn't it? What was that song? Was it the Blue Danube? Yep. Okay, you kids out there, look it up. Yep. Adira is nervous about her first away mission, but Gray silently encourages them from within. But we do find out they are working on trying to get Gray a body. 
Yeah, I got a minor tinfoil theory about that. He'll get a body, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, will. and then uh, they'll break up. <laughs> I guarantee it. So this is what it's like to have a body again. I don't need you. <laughs> it, won't be, it won't be that crass for right. me. But I think he'll, uh, he, she will have a like, you know what? I'd rather explore a little right. bit. No more gray area for tall. I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, just when the away team manages to stabilize the station with very little help, they didn't do much because Nollis took the whole thing over. They took over programmable matter, and he wasn't going to let them do nothing with it. It's my station. Yeah, he's trying to outdo Burnham. Well, of course, Disco gets hit with debris. They raise shields around the station, pulling a great deal of power from the ship's systems. Burnham quickly changes mission from repair to rescue. The damage from the wave disables transporter. What's What century are they in now? Like the 33rd or something yes. like yeah, they gave him a refit. But, right, yes. But it's not enough to throw a shield around the, the, the Deep Space Nine station? Come on, man. 33rd century. Yeah. <laughs> scurries to reinforce shielding, openly more worried about Adira than the others. Tilly and Tall move to evacuate the station by shuttle, but of course one of them is jammed. Of course. Yep. Detmer suggests a worker bee could remove the damage, and Burnham agrees and decides she should be the one to pilot it. Rylak calls her out in front of everybody, but Burnham remains resolute. She has more experience flying a bee than anybody else. Do you think we're going to see a lot of hero complex from uh, Burnham this year, or is it just when we'll just give her a lesson? That's a really good question. She used to be so difficult in the past. I know, and I kind of have a feeling this year is going to be the year where maybe by the end of the season she will have a better grip on, on this. But yeah, they Rylak really called her out the whole episode. I'll say. Doing things that a captain shouldn't be doing. and Right. So she's on her own voyage of discovery then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. So we cut back to Kaminar as Saru quietly ponders rejoining Starfleet and Discovery. Call finds him and reassures him that Kaminar will be fine and encourages Saru to return to his friend. As he has developed friends and not as many Kelpians are scared of him. <laughs> I don't know about the bowel, though. <laughs> yeah, I know. Burnham works on removing the debris from the launch area when her bee gets smacked by a stray rock, destroying the vessel just as her EV suit activates. Of course, that was a lot of slow motion swinging her hair back yeah, and forth. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> There's the producer in her credit again. Though. Make sure my hair gets a lot of action. <laughs> <laughs> then she flies back to the launch area to complete her task, unshaken by the momentary exposure to the vacuum of space. Of course she does. She's a hero. Right. Commander Nollis starts to crack under the pressure, but President Rylak talks him down by passionately describing his home world. That was pretty curious. How did she yeah. know that? And she Look. doesn't tell Burnham. <laughs> Spent a lot of time on a freighter. <laughs> yep. Burnham frees the pod and Nollis puts his crew first, insisting on waiting for the second trip with Tilly and Tall. As Burnham hitches a ride on the pod back to Disco, she contacts Rylak 
and ask if she lied to the commander. Well, Rylock, in a very Cardassian tone, doesn't give her a straight answer. Didn't have to either. No. Burn's gonna get a little bit of a come up and I guess. Yeah, I think so. But I'm the captain. Anyway, Burnham returns to the bridge to ensure that Tilly Tile and the station commander make it back. Prez calls her out in front of the crew again, but Burnham remains steadfast and insists on getting everyone on board. Yep. Cruising through Quasion Sky on your ship, Book encounters a flock of dead birds. I, I was wondering how high he was. At first I thought he was in space. Like, no one of these birds are dead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but they're plummeting from above, exiting the atmosphere. Book braces for impact as a shockwave decimates a nearby planetoid and heads straight for his vessel. As they wait for the pod, Tilly and Tal talk with Commander Nellis about their next step to keep themselves grounded. Tilly realized she's lost her sense of ambition just as the pod arrived. What do you think of that, Steve? And that was pretty interesting. You wouldn't think that Tilly would lose that ambition, especially after getting promoted to lieutenant. Yeah. Come on. But I think I Back think the scene the- where they were in the introduction to the reopening the academy that, yeah, it took 393 years, but it was only one <laughs> year to them, got her really thinking about what she's lost back home. And I think that's what's kind of got her down in the dumps a little bit. But she always pictured herself on a fast track or at least a track to captaincy. Oh, and I, yeah. And I knew they were going to put her in a chair. They were just hinting around it like crazy, even though it was in the mirror universe, <laughs> which yeah. was pretty awesome. I miss it already. Anyway, as they make it back to Disco and Jump just as Debris threatens to hit the ship. Also, that was close. When they jump from the space station, I'm sure everyone noticed it, that that rock hit that thing and just smashed it to bits. And that was like a nanosecond. Right. Right? Yeah. Oh, man, that was close. A little too close. And <laughs> managed to bring all the, the rocks on t- to uh, Discovery. And I thought, oh, man, they made it off that ship so fast, but they couldn't get Discovery to jump back. She gave the order. Right. But it wasn't instantaneous. Right. Does that, did that bother you at all? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So that's what led to, and as we found out, Nallis doesn't survive the jump. He got crushed underneath some space rock. I like how Culber's little display there. Right. And he scans him. Yeah. Yeah. Just so it shows he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No reason to try to revive him. He's gone. Yeah. Till he must be going, well, so much for your ambition. Good thing I don't have any. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be in my, on the ship, the USS Jinx. In the aftermath, Burnham reviews the events when Rillick visits her in her office. They discuss the hard lessons of the Kobayashi Maru and dance around Rillick's mysterious origins. Oh, I know what her oranges are. She's from the man in the high castle. (laughs) (laughs) Rillac praises Burnham's strength, but admonishes her for the severity of her risk-taking. Burnham realizes that Rillac wasn't aboard for the political reasons after all. Oh, Don comes over Marblehead. The president? Yeah. The president? Okay, I'll get to it later. The president admits that she was scouting Burnham for a new wave of ship in development, but determined that she isn't ready. Burn. Burnham, burn. That's a Burnham burn right there. Fronted Burnham insists the president to clarify, but Rillac reiterates the dangers of Burnham's decision. I know. What is she going to do? Blow up a brand new ship? We just made that. (laughs) But they're interrupted by Booker's ship incoming and on autopilot. I guess it knows its way home. On the bridge, wait a minute. Oh, never mind. I was going to complain about that too. We saw it last season where it came in on autopilot and he wasn't even on it. Yeah. 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 Captain Grudge. On the bridge, Burnham and Rillac join as Booker frantically tries to locate his planet on sensors, but Wosakun has difficulty finding it as well. Focusing on the planet's last known coordinates, the crew is shocked to discover that Quajan and everyone on it has been destroyed by a temporal shockwave or gravitational shockwave. I don't know if it's temporal, but that's part of my tinfoil hat theory. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So that was a lot to take in. Yes, it was. We've seen, I'm not sure the stakes are as high as as seeing Quajan destroyed. 
I know they tried to ramp it up a little bit in this episode, you know, with the brothers' reconciliation and the Leto's advancement into a, adulthood. But it's not like Vulcan being right. destroyed. Yeah. And I, I have to do credit. Book look destroyed. That's not an easy thing to act on. I mean, they're all staring at a big green screen or something like that. But they all look pretty much shocked oh, by yeah. the shockwave. It, you definitely could tell that from the looks of that, what was left of Quajon, nobody survived that. It's going to be like, my birds. Yes. <laughs> No, this is really a huge moment. I mean, yes, it doesn't quite have the effect that Destroying Vulcan did to the fandom, but I think this is going to really cause some stress between Book and Burnham in the upcoming season, Is because everything he had is gone now. Yeah. And he had just gotten it back, so he's going to be in a mood for quite a while, I think, and I'm not sure Burnham's with her having to deal with the Prez on one hand and Book on the other. That's going to be some stressful time ahead for... Yeah, it'll definitely test her. Maybe that's a good thing that she's captain, to see if she's really worthy of it, because I know I'm watching Yes. <laughs> she's going to get help coming probably next episode with Saru coming back. Now, that's yeah. the only thing that may actually keep her at least well. semi sort of in line is having Saru have her ear and say, you really shouldn't be doing this, Michael. You need to yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, it's good to have a number one. Yes, that has some experience. And, and of course, Saru is definitely more cautious than Michael's ever been. Right, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they used to be uh, at odds with each other Yeah, long ago. So interesting. All right, uh, I think we have some Easter eggs oh, we got- to go over. <laughs> Shall I commence? Yes, please. Yes, please. While describing Grudge's species at the beginning of the episode, Burnham seems to vaguely reference another famous Star Trek cat, Spot, of the next generation. In his famous poem, Ode to Spot, Data's first words were, Felis Catus is your taxonomic nomenclature. I'd forgotten about that, Felis Catus. I remember Felix the cat, but... (laughs) (laughs) There you go, Steve. Boomer talk right there. That's right. Got it in. Though the details are different, the overall tone and sweep of the first scene in this episode feels very reminiscent of Star Trek Into Darkness. In that film, Bones and Kirk were running for their lives while a group of friendly aliens was chasing them for a perceived religious heresy. What was the episode? It was, it's the uh, one of the Kelvin episodes, too. Yeah. Where the, uh, instead of running from a group of friendly aliens, those tiny little, like, they're not lizards. I don't know what they were. <laughs> Pig people or something came rolling down the hill. Right. They were <laughs> chasing Kirk. Remember that one? Was yep. it, do you remember which ep- uh, movie that was in? I don't know. <laughs> they all rolled together. In this episode, the butterfly people, as Book calls them, are similarly annoyed also because of a miscommunication. The fact that the simple presence of a pet cat can cause an alien species to get profoundly offended also seems a reference to Star Trek Enterprise, episode One Night in Sick Bay, in which Captain Archer accidentally offends an entire alien species because his dog Porthos pees on some trees. Yeah, I remember that one. That was a good one. <laughs> He's just a dog. <laughs> He's a King. What? <laughs> Although the opening credits for the show are very familiar by now, there are a few small details to change for the season. As of now, the USS Discovery and the credit appears as an upgraded self, complete with detached nacelles. Cool. And the anomaly is also referred to in the credits as a mysterious glyph, which could re- represent uh, some kind of mathematical equation. Is this a good time to int- introduce my tinfoil hat theory? 
Absolutely. If I can find it. How <laughs> <laughs> close you might have. It seems to me that gravitational distortion. Right. I thought, well, maybe it's a union with another dimension. They're merging. If galaxies yeah, if they can, can actually run into right, each other. Absolutely. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Like Why can't? Seemingly, it should be impossible. For, uh, but hey, there's there's no such a thing as impossible. I mean, there has to be a certain amount of odds to say, well, there may be one in one zillion, but here you go. Right. Should have bought that lottery ticket. Yeah, and they try to keep most of their stuff somewhat based in science. Mm -hmm. Even though, like you said, it may be a one in one million chance of happening. Yeah. Still, it could. It could. At least it, it will make some kind of sense when we actually figure out what this anomaly is. We go, oh, okay, I can buy that. On top of my tinfoil hat theory, my tinfoil hat is wearing a tinfoil hat of its own. <laughs> And I thought, well, if they want to stay with science and there's two universes merging, that'd be cool, I guess. But what if it's a, a weapon from another universe? And I go, that's a little corny, a weapon, let's say, from the mirror universe. Right. Now, why would they be attacking? Because things are pretty much settled over there, right? Right. Yeah, their universe has moved away from Disco's universe. Right. What if it hasn't? You know, they go through emperors or empresses over there like we go through Kleenex. Yeah. <laughs> I was just wondering, oh, maybe they've just found a weapon. They want to they want to attack our universe and then take it over. I mean, that was part of their ambition anyway, wasn't it? Yes, eh. Absolutely. I don't want to see it. <laughs> What's that? That just hit me with, oh, it's probably the aliens from Picard that were trying to destroy all uh <laughs> Yeah, all I know. Life. It's us again. Yeah. <laughs> or, or maybe it's species... 8472, was that it? Close, yeah. Yeah, close. <laughs> Some of those numbers. All right. So that's my tinfoil head theory. If it's universes colliding for one in a zillion chance, yeah, okay. Yeah. So if that's true, it just could provide every episode with an interpersonal plot and how everyone deals with it, which is what we were hinting at earlier, too, how Burnham right. handles it, et cetera, Booker. Oh, boy. <laughs> So I left it off with the mysterious clip, which could represent some mathematical equation. And the next, we get to visit the Kaminar High Council, where we see several Ba'ul chilling in the water outside of a dome. That was kind of cool. The Ba'ul are the other dominant life form on the planet Kaminar, in addition to Saru species, the Kelpians. We actually haven't seen a Ba'ul since season two, when it was revealed in the episode A Sound of Thunder that in eons in the past, the Kelpians were had enslaved by the Ba'ul. The situation was reversed in the 23rd century. You know what? If it was from uh, the episode of Sound of Thunder, they should have had Tom Cruise right. do one of the voices of the Bible. <laughs> That's not a promo reference, but it's still pretty bad. Right. <laughs> now it seems they're all living in harmony. A 930-year legacy, which was arguably started by Captain Pike and Burnham in Season 2. Ouch. Yep. Although no comment is made about the new color-coded uniforms worn by the crew of Discovery. Saru tells us five months have passed since the end of Season 3. Did that bother you? Just, actually, I like her red uniform. I think that's cool. Right. But why red? Yeah. Why is everyone else... All the lieutenant commander's gold. Right. Until he was in blue, right? Yes. Please explain. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? The president should come out in royal purple or something. Check me out. <laughs> Apparently, at the same time, Starfleet decided to roll out some new uniforms, and at least for the disco crew. Ah, maybe that's it. It's all about dancing. Personnel at Starfleet Command and later Commander Nals all wear the mostly gray uniforms from last season. Not still seeing things in black and white because Starfleet is no longer based on Earth. We found out that the Academy itself has actually been shut down since the burn, which made me think, Steve. I wonder who's taking care of the trees. Right. Back at the... Yeah. <laughs> Please, someone take care of the trees. Oh, Boothby's great, 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 great grandson. <laughs> it better be. It yeah. better be. 
As Book and Burnham walk down the corridor, we see what appears to be, and sounds like, a very large triple. I looked it up, and it has Ensign Furbag <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the deep credits. <laughs> Ensign Furbag, yeah. That's what they call him behind his back, actually. Right. <laughs> he doesn't know. He thinks he's an Ensign, but they call him Furbag. This isn't the first time tribbles have appeared in Discovery. Lorca had a triple in Season 1, and in Season 2, a triple sound effect was used by a special code during a transmission between Burnham and Ash Tyler. I miss you, Ash. <laughs> As played by Chela Horstall, President Rulak is the first president of the United Federation Plans we've seen in quite some time. And as I said earlier, she used to be on the man in the high castle. Right. Like, hey, I know you. Yep. Look has a mixed heritage of being both Bajoran and Cardassian. And an Easter egg last season established that the Cardassian joined the Federation sometime before the burn. Just before Discovery jumps into Federation HQ, we see the USS Voyager J for Janeway. Yep. Which is first introduced in Discovery Season 3 in the episode Die Trying or Die Hard. Haha. When President Rillac reveals that the new Archer space dock was clearly hear the theme from Star Trek's Enterprise Archer's theme composed by Dennis McCarthy. Also cool. That's something Marvel does a lot to or Star Trek. Yes. Especially Star Trek. Yes. You see somebody and then you hear the theme and you're like, oh. <laughs> this is a theme that played over the end of the credits to most episodes of Enterprise and in some ways was the other main theme of that series beyond Faith of the Heart. I actually like the closing. Yes, better. better. <laughs> yeah. The space dock itself is a striking resemblance to the basic shape of a space dock from Star Trek The Motion Picture. At least we didn't get the 10-minute flyover. Oh, man. Good thing. It's even got those distinctive honeycomb lights. Rillac also says that the next generation of Starfleet vessels will be constructed in this space dock. It feels like a reference to the next generation. Oh, yeah. They, they coined a lot of phraseology oh, yeah. in this going nowhere or something like that. It was a little corny. One might say treacly, but that's okay. Chili jokes that being a cadet feels like a thousand years ago and yesterday, which it was simultaneously. A reference to the fact that Discovery jumped from 2258 to 3188 at the end of season two. In season one, sit mostly in 2257, Tilly was still a cadet. So it's been 930 years, but also because of time travel, like a year. No problem. Everybody can do that. I meant to discuss earlier. It's got to be jolting. Oh, absolutely. Like jolting. And it, it reminded me of, this might have been a diss on the captain's behalf there, Burnham turning to the president and saying, you might want to hold on to something or hold on. Right. One before they and, jump. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. When, and she turns <laughs> around. I hope there's an outtake of her lying on the floor in like a fetal position with a thumb in her mouth. <laughs> that would be hilarious. When Nallis mentions his space station is squiddled, Burnham later tells Detmer it is a Okazonum expression. Did I say that right? Okazonum? So. Okay. Previously, analysis species wasn't actually established on screen, but he appears to have the same species as Kima from the short takes episode Children of Mars, where it served as the prologue to Star Trek Picard Season 1. When's that coming back? This means that Kima and Nalus are both retroactively members of the Azokum species. Probably. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. While trying to rescue everyone from the Doom space station, Stamets mentioned there's something wrong with Heisenberg compensator. This may sound like a random disco space jargon, but the Heisenberg uh, compensator is an Easter egg from the next generation. It is mentioned as an essential part of the transporter in the Realm of Fear episode, and again in Ship in a Bottle. That was a good one. Shocking no one, O'Brien talks about a lot of it in Deep Space Nine, too. Well, he's just showing off. Yes. <laughs> While the regular main engineering of Discovery is still a little murky, it has a warp drive, two folks, we do see Stamets seemingly in charge of all engineering 
is he actually the chief engineer? Where's uh, Reno? Well, I've seen her in some of the previews for the season. absolutely. But a completely different uniform again. (laughs) Yeah. I guess she's under the same type of deal she was in last year where she comes and goes. Because she has, I don't know, other commitments. So why not? I know. Who cares? Some um, health issues that she's. Yeah, right. She looked pretty thin in the previews. Yes. For the season. Anyway, Burnham asked Detmer and Oo, how long will it take our dots to remove that debris? Love the dots. The reference to the dot three robots on Discovery, which will replace the dot sevens that Disco and the Enterprise had in season two. On the USS Discovery, the dots are seemingly imbued with the self-aware consciousness of the ship itself, which, in the future, as seen in Star Trek episode Calypso, not a Calypso in case anybody's charting that, may be known as the same name Zora. Burnham pilots a craft called a worker bee in this episode, which appears to be a souped-up 32nd century, isn't it 33rd century? What year are they in? Nope, 32nd. You were right, yep. Steve. Sorry. Version of deep, uh, deep-cut Star Trek calf. Worker bees are actually been around since the era of the motion picture, in air quotes. They're essential maintenance craft that allow Starfleet to perform complicated construction tasks in space. Although never actually named outright on the screen, reference books like Mr. Scott's Guide to the Enterprise, it came out in 89, and various 90s comics depict all sorts of different versions of worker bee shuttlecraft in both the 23rd and 24th centuries. Discovery has been using worker bees since season one, and Ash Tyler even flew one to retrieve data about the mirror universe. Where are you, Ash? In addition to mentioning a next-generation Borg drive, President Rillock also talks about a pathway drive prototype which will be installed on Voyager for testing. Unless, of course, this space dock gets hit by that anomaly. Yeah. There, there goes the new fleet. You think we'll see that? Send them back, you know, and like, boom, there it goes. It wouldn't surprise me if it does. Yeah. I don't know if that's fair. Right. I mean, they already had the burn. Now they got this. Maybe we'll find out that it's it's a high school class. <laughs> you know, took away the recess on some plant, and so that caused a right. waves across. Luxy. <laughs> Rulak accuses Captain Burnham of being reckless, saying, You were prepared to sacrifice the many to save the few. Wow. This reference, the Vulcan axiom of the needs of the many outweighs the needs of the few, also introduced in The Wrath of Khan, which is one of the most classic movies ever. Rulak suggests that Burnham might have gained a pyrrhic victory had she lost more lives than she saved. Considering that Rulak is not human, that is a pretty impressive linguistic reference. A pyrrhic victory references an ancient king named Pyrrhus was able to take out a Roman army but lost most of his army in the process. Yep, we studied that. Yep. It's unclear if Rulak is throwing around fancy words to rile Burnham up or if she's got another motive altogether. Do you think she does? Tinfoil hat on, Steve? I mean, she or, would we, not no, she's, surprise me in the least. Yeah. She's on the ball. She knows a whole lot more than what I expected the president of Starfleet to know. That's for sure. Oh, God, she's from the future. <laughs> That's a distinct possibility. Oh, man. I hope not. Possible. Yep. Maybe it's, she's from the future and she brought back the uh, magnetic or the temporal anomaly with her. Way to go. Yep. Like, See, now we got three solid theories. Either way, unlike Star Trek captains before, Burnham has, has a space president breathing down her neck seemingly at, at all times. What is this, Battlestar Galactica? <laughs> <laughs> Night. It's an interesting dynamic, though. I wonder yes, how much we're going to see. Uh, how much of we should we see her in the seven? I mean, we're going to see the president in every single episode. I like. Um, I prefer Vance. Oh, absolutely. And his family's I don't cute. Think we will see a lot of her, but I do think she will be checking in on Disco more than what we would normally expect. She's going to be riding shotgun on this mission to figure out what the anomaly is, and yeah, Burnham's going to have to cut the comms or something to <laughs> yeah 
Sorry, well, we lost you. Yeah. Here's a, here's a scenario, Steve. Tinfoil hat scenario. She's going to have to make the call to sacrifice another whole planet because it'll mean saving, I don't know, like a solar system or something to that effect. Right. You have to be prepared to sacrifice the many to save the few. So she's going to get a huge call to make. I got a feeling now, now that they introduced this. Oh, absolutely. Now, it'll be her call. So what will Burnham do? Like disobey her, which is what she usually does. Yes. And, and then what? They'll get that Pyrrhic victory, even on, you know, like a galactic scale. Right. You, are you writing this down? I hope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the airing of this episode, along with Prodigy's new episode released today, marks the first time since 1999, Space 1999, there are two new episodes of Star Trek shows given in a week. Hooray. Yeah, finally. Yeah. <laughs> 20, yeah. Two years. Yeah. Those two episodes in 1999 were DS9's The Dogs of War and Voyager's Equinox. Those are the good old days. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so a lot to digest in this episode. Yes, there was. A lot to what everyone forward to. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be real interesting to see where this takes us, because this is going to be a wild ride, I'm afraid. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if there really is a, a grand scale to uh, sacrificing uh, a few to save the many. Yes. And see if uh, Michael Burnham screws it up. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. There's, there's a lot of... Yeah. Go she ahead. just can't deal with losing anybody. Yeah. She thinks the hero she can save everybody, no matter what. And I think she's going to learn this season that, that that's just not always possible. I just pictured Booker turning to her and saying, did you save my planet? No. No. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Lots to watch for. Yep. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on each and every episode this season. Our deadline for feedback is 6 p.m. Eastern every Friday during the season. You can send your feedback via email or audio to contact us at fangirlzone.com. Yep, all you have to do is go to www.fangirlzone.com and click on the contact link where you'll find several ways to contact us via email or through social media. On Twitter, he's at Sawyer Steve, and I'm at the Real ID Dave, Interdimensional Dave, for those who want to search. Please review and rate us on iTunes. Good ratings and reviews help other fans of the show find us, as there are a lot of Star Trek Discovery podcasts out there. Tell your friends, and we do hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget to check out the other great Fangirl Zone podcasts, like the Marvelous <laughs> Post Blip podcast. <laughs> and the Mandalorian. Yes. Yeah. And uh, are we doing Hawkeye? Yes. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're back being uh, full schedule again. In West for the weary. Yeah. So the second the second episode is on November 25th. Good grief. Is that after Thanksgiving, right? Or is that Thanksgiving? It is Thanksgiving. Good grief. And it's titled Anomaly, just like our, our turkey that day. Yeah. So <laughs> until then, remember. This is Chief Engineer Steve. Maybe we'll live long enough for me to pet my hostage again. And this is still Red Shirt Dave. And you know what gives me a growly face? I'll tell you. When someone puts their hand on my Heisenberg coupler... <laughs>